Welcome to TCC Alive, a podcast of Tulare Community Church. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. We're glad that you're joining us for our Good Friday service. In a little while, we'll be partaking of the Lord's Supper together, so be sure to have elements for communion nearby. Uh, Hear the words of the Lord, Genesis chapter 4. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? Then the Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. This is the, that is the first recorded death of man, a bodily, physical death. That is the first recorded death, and it's a murder, a murder. It's not peaceful. It's not natural. It's not just a part of life or whatever euphemisms we like to use to comfort ourselves about death. It's not dying with dignity, if there even is such a thing. No, it's an evil. An evil brought about by man who could not do what is right, who could not rule, who could not master their sin and so became cursed by it. And we have a glimpse, perhaps, of the first burial Hints of a shallow grave, just a means of hiding shame, hiding sin, hiding guilt, hiding death. And that's fitting because as honoring and as reverent as we try to make a burial, it is in some ways just a means to separate ourselves from the unpleasant realities of death, sealing away the stench sealing away the ugliness of decay. And death is ugly. You know, so much of our secular culture wants to pretend otherwise. Uh, Here's a few comments I found online from non-Christians about death. This is what they say. Dying is the most pure form of beauty. Death is beautiful because it represents change. Death is purity. Death is true freedom. Death is joy. No, it isn't. That's nonsense. Death is a consequence of sin. It's an effect of brokenness. It's the result of a fallen world. It's ugly and it's painful. The Bible calls death an enemy. And today is a day of death. A day we remember a death. And it's ugly and horrifying, and difficult to stomach, and steeped in all manner of evils. Betrayal, plotting, and scheming, and the shedding of innocent blood. And yet we rightly call it good. But the goodness of this day is not some wish-casting. It's not some perspective shift, or a flowery or poetic way of viewing death. It's not a metaphor to help us cope. It's not a sentimental expression to soothe our suffering. It's not pretending that dust is beautiful. No, we call it good 
because today is the day in which Jesus declared, it is finished. This is the day that Jesus took on all of our sins from Adam to Cain to us and bore the wrath of God. He paid the penalty for our sin, taking on our sin and buried them with his body to finish it, to conquer sin and conquer death, to make beauty from ashes. We're not pretending that ashes are beautiful. We're declaring that God in his power transformed the ashes into something else entirely. It's not a perspective shift. It's a reality shift. We can face the ugliness of death. We can call it what it is. We can bear it with unflinching eyes because something happened in history this week that transformed reality. Man could not do right. Sin was crouching at our door. We couldn't rule it. We couldn't master it. And we became cursed by it. So God enters in. He takes on flesh, becomes the incarnate deity in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. He enters into a line of men, enters into humanity, enters into our fallen and broken world, and takes upon himself our curse. That's why he's called the man of sorrows. Listen to these words again from Isaiah. I know you know them, but hear them afresh with all of its ugliness. Isaiah, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed." We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This perfectly righteous and holy being, this majestic and glorious being, empties himself, humbles himself, and subjects himself to this, to grief like no other. There's a poem by George Herbert called The Sacrifice. And it captures quite beautifully who Jesus is in contrast to what he was subjected to. And the last line of every stanza, save one, is Jesus asking, was ever grief like mine? Hear these lines. Arise, arise, they come. Look how they run. Alas, what haste they make to be undone. How with their lanterns do they seek the sun? Was ever grief like mine? With clubs and staves they seek me as a thief, who am the way and truth, the true relief, most true to those who are my greatest grief. Was ever grief like mine? See, they lay hold on me, not with the hands of faith, but fury. Yet at their commands I suffer binding, who have loosed their bands. Was ever grief like mine? Then they condemn me all with that same breath which I do give them daily unto death. Thus Adam my first breathing rendereth. Was ever grief like mine? Behold, they spit on me in scornful wise, who by my spittle gave the blind man eyes, leaving his blindness to my enemies. 
was ever grief like mine. My face they cover, though it be divine. As Moses' face was veiled, so was mine, lest on their double dark souls either shine was ever grief like mine. The soldiers also spit upon that face, which angels did desire to have the grace and prophets once to see, but found no place. Was ever grief like mine? O all ye who pass by, behold and see, man stole the fruit, but I must climb the tree, the tree of life to all, but only me. Was ever grief like mine? Such sorrow as if sinful man could feel or feel his part, he would not cease to kneel till all were melted, though he were all steel. Was ever grief like mine? Betwixt two thieves I spend my utmost breath, as he that for some robbery suffereth. Alas, what have I stolen from you? Death. Was ever grief like mine? They give me vinegar mingled with gall, but more with malice yet when they did call. With manna angels' food I fed them all. Was ever grief like mine? But, O oh my God, my God, why leavest thou me, thy Son, in whom thou dost delight to be my God, my God? Never was grief like mine. And Jesus dies. He gives his life for our sins, and he is buried. As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. If that's the end of the story, that is insufficient. If the seal over that tomb holds, that is not good enough. Now we know the ending. But this is a moment of, of weeping and wondering who has authority? Who can break the seal? Then I saw... In the right hand of him who sat on the throne, a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll. But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. 
And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each one at a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchase for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. We know that Easter morning is coming. We know the ending, but we are still in this moment of waiting in eager anticipation for that new morning when he will wipe away every tear from our eyes and there will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order has passed away when he makes everything new and beautiful. When that last seal is opened. But it starts with this one. It starts with this seal on his tomb, and its opening is a sign for us of hope. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. If we're in Christ, we are buried with him so that we will also rise with him. And so we want to turn it all over to him. We say that Jesus is the answer, so reflect on that. What are the problems that Jesus came to answer for you? Not just for eternity, but for the here and now. What are you battling with right now? Is it sin? Are you entangled in sin? Shall we keep on sinning so that grace may abound? May it never be. Cast it into the tomb. Bury that with Jesus. Is it anxiety? Worry? Is it pain? Is it heartbreak? Is it sorrow? All of the burdens of living in a fallen and broken world. All of our weakness, all of our frailty, all of our spiritual need. Bring it all, all of our brokenness, all of our ashes, and bury it with Jesus. Jesus is able to take it all, but it comes at a cost. It comes at a price. And so we're going to remember the cost by celebrating the Lord's Supper. If you claim Christ as your Lord and Savior, this is a covenant he makes with you. But we don't enter into it lightly. Scripture tells us to examine ourselves before partaking. Cast away your ashes. Bury yourself with Christ then share in his body, share in his blood, remember and believe. 
On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We cast our sins and the burdens of this broken world into the tomb, not to hide our shame, not to bury our sin in some shallow grave, not to conceal our guilt, but in hope, in the hope of Easter, in the hope that the seal will be opened, in the hope that the body that is sown that is perishable will be raised imperishable, in the hope that what is sown in dishonor will be raised in glory, in the hope that what is sown in weakness will be raised in power, in the hope that he will take our ashes and transform it to beauty. Thanks for listening. If you want to know more about the ministries and mission of Tulare Community Church, visit us at tccalive.org.